Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Brian Vaughn. Uh, it's one of the things I love about Thanksgiving is that it centers our heart on gratitude and gluttony uh, before we enter into this Christmas season. Um, but it is the Advent season. This Advent season is upon us. And uh, some of us, depending on your background, uh, we understand what just happened. Like the, our tradition, we, we come, we, we light the candles, we uh, read a scripture. That's really going to bother me. Okay, there we go. Uh, we read a scripture and that just all seems very normal at Christmas time, right? Uh, but there might be some of you in the room that have walked into a place like this, maybe even for the first time, and you're like, what in the world just happened? They're lighting candles. What's next? Are they going to start chanting or what? I, you know, I don't know. We're not going to do that this morning. Uh, I'm not going to rule out the next few weeks, but you never know. Uh, but we are here to celebrate, um, to celebrate Jesus, but celebrate this season of Advent. And the celebration of Advent has been happening for almost 2,000 years as followers of Jesus look forward to Christmas. We see the first written evidence of the practice or liturgy of Advent in the fourth century. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus. Can you say that? Adventus. Good job. You didn't know you were going to come and speak Latin, right? Uh, That's translated from the Greek word, the original language of the New Testament, um, parousia. I'm not going to ask you to say that one. But both words, they denote not just... Uh, not just the initial coming of the Christ or Messiah, which we call the incarnation, God come to earth, but also the anticipation of the second coming of Christ, of Jesus. We also acknowledge the reality that through Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near, but as believers, we live in this kind of now and not yet age where we are the expression of the kingdom of God to the world until Jesus returns. So during the Advent season, we remember how the coming of Jesus fulfills the past promises of God, and we look forward to the promise of his return when he will set all things right and usher in the new heavens and new earth. And as Revelation 21 so beautifully promises and depicts, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Yeah. The practice of Advent is not something that's commanded or outlined in scripture, in the Bible. So there's freedom in the way that we celebrate it. But the, the main themes of, and the ideas of anticipation and incarnation and the second coming of Christ are themes that are written all throughout the storyline of scripture. So this morning and, and over the next few weeks, we're lighting candles to symbolize light invading the darkness. 
We're reading scriptures that point us to these major themes. We're reading them in different languages as well, reminding us that the hope of Christ is for all nations and tribes. And wasn't that cool to hear that in German this morning? And we will talk about joy and faith, hope and love in the weeks to come. But this morning, we get to talk about joy. Now, I want you to think for just a minute, what comes to your mind when you hear the word joy? Just think about it. When you hear the word joy, what comes to your mind? Maybe laughter. Is that something you think about? Maybe, I I think, when I think about laughter, I I think about uh, a small child, you know, when they just can't stop laughing right? And you, you start tickling them, ah! you know, and just, sorry, that was really weak. But they, they are just filled with, with joy and just enjoying themselves. You know, we might think about certain things that, that, that do make us happy or, or bring us pleasure. Uh, some of you might think about your, your sports team that uh, is doing really well and no joy when they're not doing well, right? I, I don't know why, but my, my mind instantly goes to certain songs. Uh, back when I was growing up at a part of our youth group, uh, we used to sing this song. I got the joy, 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 joy. Anybody know that one? Yep. Um, just, yeah, repetitive song. It's fun, you know. Uh, down in my heart. Uh, sorry, I got to get away from that one. And then around Christmas time, I think about joy to the world the Lord has come, right? And for some reason, we were talking about it earlier, uh, the, the whole Jeremiah was a bullfrog jumped in there. Remember that one? Yeah. Jeremiah. Uh, anyway, joy to the world, all the boys and girls now. Joy to the, yeah, okay. That has nothing to do with this morning, but I thought it was fun. But there's all kinds of things that come to our minds when we think about joy. But as, as I was really thinking about this and preparing and, and looking for, not necessarily a definition, but a way to think about joy, um, I came across uh, this uh, writing, a guy named Dallas Willard, and he was a theologian, author, and uh, he writes this about joy. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. It's a sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. And I think he's talking about biblical joy. We read joy in scripture. I think that's what God had in mind with the spirit of God um, inspired these authors to write about this sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. And that's kind of where we're going to start this morning. And if you, if you like to follow along on the app or on the listening guides, this first point, there's two main points this morning. The first one is this, that our joy begins with the promises of God. Or as Willard said, you could even put in there the goodness of God. Our joy begins with the promises of God. And to start talking about these promises, I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 61. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 61. If you don't, they'll be on the screen or there's some around you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those. We'd love for you to have it. 
And in fact, the last two verses, or the two verses that uh, the McWilliams read uh, this morning are the last two verses of Isaiah 61. And just to give you a little context, this blessed, or these promises of God began, we're going to place it with Abraham, but really it goes back to the beginning of the Bible. Then Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the promises of God begin. But these specific promises, God called Abraham to go to a land that he would show him. And he said, Abraham, I will make you into a great name. I'll give you a great name. I will make you into a great nation through your descendants. And all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And that was kind of a a puzzling promise for Abraham because at the time he was, he was well on up there in years and he did not yet have uh, a child, a descendant. But to speed the story along, he ended up having a child that God promised him. And then he became a great nation. And actually they became a great nation while they were in slavery for 400 years in the nation of, of Egypt. But they came out of that and God said, hey, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna give you a land where you will be a nation. And again, all the peoples of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. And he made a covenant with them and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Just walk in the ways that I give you. And God said, look, here's the main thing to remember. You'll have no other gods before me. And Moses, as, as, as he was the one that God used to deliver the people out of Egypt, as these guys were all, all of them were descendants of Abraham. Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then to, to speed through the, the, the history of Israel there, they most of the time did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. There were a few bright spots along the way, but the people and the kings, their leaders, most of them were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord and breaking that covenant. And God along the way sent prophets like Isaiah to say, hey, look, you guys are on the wrong path. Turn, repent, and walk in the ways of the Lord. I will be your God. You will be my people. It's that simple but they kept turning away from him. And finally, through the prophets, he said, look, I'm gonna allow other nations to come and take you over because you haven't been walking with me. You've been turning to other gods. You've been following the gods of these nations. So I'm gonna let them rule over you. And that's the point we're at in Isaiah chapter 61. The people are being ruled by other nations. They've been, they've been taken in exile, some of them, to some of these nations, to Assyria and to Babylon, And they've been taken from their homes or they're, they're under rules of unjust rulers. And so that's the context of Isaiah chapter 61. And we're gonna read the whole thing and just make a couple of comments along the way. It starts this way. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives, the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Now I wanna stop for just a minute. 
And I want you to try to put yourself in their place. Put yourself in their shoes. Most of us in here have probably never been exiled. <laughs> we might have felt it sometimes from our family or our wives. Uh, sorry, that was low blow. I've never felt that way from my wife. She's amazing. <laughs> but I want you to put yourself in, <laughs> stop, in their shoes for just a minute. You've been taken from your home, sometimes maybe even separated from your families. If you were allowed to stay in your land and in your home, there were unjust, there's unjust rulers. There's a new, new king in town, a new governor. You're feeling extreme prejudice. You may not even have enough to eat. Some of you have been enslaved and placed in servitude. And you just don't feel like there's any hope and definitely nothing to find joy in. And then you hear that this prophet, this man of the Lord is, is, is saying these things and has, has, has come to proclaim that just maybe there's hope. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captive, the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning festive praise instead of despair and their righteousness. They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. You see how they might find hope in this. They might find joy. Goes on. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them through, though they have been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants and they will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers to our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. I love that. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers to our God. I immediately think of First Peter chapter two, verse nine, where Peter tells these followers of Jesus much in the same kind of situation as they were experiencing exiles. In fact, he called them your strangers and aliens and they're being persecuted because they're following Jesus. He said, you are a holy people. You're a royal priesthood. I had, I just got to think that Peter had this Isaiah 61 in his mind. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the Old Testament is all over the New Testament. The New Testament is all over the Old Testament. But to find that out, you've got to read it. And I hope, well, can I go ahead and say that? Is it okay to say what we're doing next year? Is that okay? Hey, next year, we're going to be reading through the Bible. <laughs> 
Yes, my people. All right. We're going to be reading through the Bible together and, and through the whole year, going through the whole thing. So I just want to encourage you to, to take that opportunity and do that with us. We're going to show you how and help you to know how we do that. Okay, back in. The Bible's cool, y'all. I hope you understand that. I hope you're reading it. Okay, you will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasure of treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. Can you imagine how a people that just felt no hope, they've been shamed for who they are, dishonored to hear these words. You will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting what? Joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding, a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. And God keeps his promises. Eventually, they were allowed to come back into their land or to take control. And then, you know, still kind of the same story with Israel. <laughs> they still walked in the ways of those around them. Or they took the law of God, which was meant for their good, and they placed these burdens on each other and on the people that no one could bear. But they also saw this Isaiah 61 as a promise that this one, this anointed one was coming. In fact, Jesus took these promises and this prophecy to a different level. His understanding were that these promises pointed to the Messiah, to the promised one, to the one that he, to who he was. God sent other prophets to the people of Israel, kind of telling them some of the same kinds of things. And then for 400 years, there seemed to be at least scriptural silence. And then God broke the silence when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary in Luke chapter one and appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter two. He told Mary, he said, the Holy Spirit will overwhelm you, will come upon you and you will conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And he will be the savior of the world. He told Joseph to say the same thing. He said, you're, you're, your fiance, your betrothed is going to have a child. And it happened. And God kept his promises. It's so interesting that it, that it came to this teenage girl in Nazareth, a place where, any, where others would later say, can anything good come from Nazareth? 
And Jesus lived and grew and, and worked in somewhat obscurity for almost 30 years. And then we get this picture in Luke chapter 4 of where he kind of steps into the scene. And, and apparently he's already known as a rabbi, as a teacher. And he steps into the synagogue, one of the places of worship for the Jews. And they did, as was their custom. If there was a, a teacher that, that showed up, they would, they would give the teacher one of the scrolls, some of the scriptures, and, and let them read and then comment on them. And so Jesus took, the, they, they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he opened it to this place, actually what we just read, part of what we just read. And in Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus took the, he unrolled the scroll and he read this, found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then I love this. He rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And he didn't sit there and expound on it. He didn't sit there and see, and this is why in our history, you know, he didn't have some cool phrase that rhymed. He just sat down. And everybody was looking at him, just waiting. And then he said this, he began to speak to them. The scripture you've heard, just heard, has been fulfilled this very day. He said, I am the promise of God. The promise for Israel was that they would be brought back from exile, that they'd be rescued from the oppression of other rulers, that a Messiah, the anointed one would come and sit on the throne of David and fulfill the promises of God. And Jesus was that promise. But our promise is not that much different. The promise that we can find our joy in today is that in Jesus, the kingdom of God and the life of God has come. We no longer have to live under the oppression of the evil rulers of sin and death. There's a better way to live. It's the way of Jesus. When we surrender control to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our joy begins with that promise. The second thing is that our joy takes root and begins to grow in abiding. We find this language in John chapter 15. So that's where we're going to go next. So how does this joy that begins with the promises of God, how does it grow in us? Regardless of our circumstances, whether things are going well or things maybe not so well. How do we experience joy when, we're, when we have plenty or when we don't? How do we experience joy regardless of what's going on in our lives? And I begin to believe that it grows in abiding. In John chapter 15, it's right in the middle of John 13 to 17, or I don't know if the numbers work out, but this, this whole section in John is Jesus' last words, last uh, kind of hanging out evening with his closest friends with the disciples before he walks to the cross and is killed and then raises from the grave. 
And I think of it this way, like if there's anything, Jesus, that you want us to remember, it's probably these things, what you're telling us on this last night. And so we see that they celebrate uh, together. They have this meal together, which was kind of the model for what we did today in practicing communion and, and taking communion. And then he got down and he washed their feet and said, hey, this is what it looks like in the kingdom of God that you serve and you love one another. And then he goes on in John uh, 14 and, and 15 and 16 and 17 and just gives them some last words. And this is right in the middle of it. John 15, verse five. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When it's remain in this translation, other translations that you have may say abide. To dwell in. That's what he's saying. When you, when you dwell in me, when you find your home in me, when you remain in me, when you abide in me, I will abide in you. He says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain, abide, dwell in, stay in my love. When you obey my commandments, that's what it looks like. You remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my, what? Joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment that you would love each other. So what does this abiding looks like? Jesus said it looks like obedience. When you obey what I command, uh, elsewhere in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, hey, what, what's the most important command? Like if you look back at the, all the law and the prophets, if you look back at all of scripture that they had at that time, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love each other. Or in that instance, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Abiding in Jesus looks like doing what he did and doing what he said. It looks like love. He says, when you remain in me, when you abide in me, when you do what I've asked you to do, when you love like I've asked you to love when you walk in relationship with me, then my joy will fill you up. My joy will fill you up. And he uses this image. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I don't know if you've ever seen a vineyard and see the way a grapevine grows, but you have the vine that, that 
comes out of the ground and then it has to attach to, to something and they use trellises and then the, the branches all are growing along. But the thing about the vine and the branches that, that I find interesting is that it's, it's hard to tell where the vine ends and the branches begin. And it's just, it's just all kind of intertwined and, and wound together. It's hard to see where the, where the vine ends and the branches begin. And I think Jesus intentionally used this picture and there were other reasons and they would have understood it because they walked around and they saw vineyards. But I think one of the things maybe that he wanted them to see is that, hey, remain, abiding in me, dwelling in me, finding your home in me looks like that. You can't tell where I end and you begin because the spirit of God has so filled you up and working in you and through you that there's no difference. I believe that following Jesus looks like being with him, becoming like him and doing what he said. And when we dwell in here, we become like him and that's God's hope for you that you become, that you be conformed to the image of his son, as it says in Romans chapter eight. Abiding and enduring joy is impossible if you only fix your thoughts on Jesus for one to two hours a week on a Sunday. Understanding who he is and what he, what he desires for you and understanding his love and allowing him to transform your heart. If, if your only concept of that, if your only time given to that, it's just an hour or two. Then no wonder we're filled with negativity and Anxiety and depression and anger. He calls us to walk with him and abide with him. In Philippians 4, Paul, another guy that, that started churches uh, all around the, the Roman world in his day, in Philippians chapter four, he says, and he's writing this to people that he really, really cares about. He says, hey guys, rejoice, which is the verb form of joy. Do you know that? Rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, it's so important. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. He says, be anxious for nothing. Cast all your, your anxieties uh, it, with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And then he, and then he comes to this. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And I think that's what it looks like. To abide with him is continually fixing our thoughts and our hope on the Lord. And when we do that, as we do that, this fruit that Jesus mentioned said, you'll, you'll bear much fruit. I think that fruit is the same fruit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, where he says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's the fruit of abiding. And it's not like we can pick and choose those. Like, oh, I really like the love and the joy and the peace part, but the patience, count me out on that. I'm just not a patient person. And, you know, I kind of like to be angry sometimes. So gentleness, wipe that one out. Maybe I'll work on that later. No, that's fruit is singular in the language that it's written in there. It's not fruits, it's fruit. If you're abiding in Christ, this is the fruit. This is who you are. And I don't think it means that we're perfect. But I think it means that more times than not, that's what our lives look like when we're abiding in Christ. And one of those is joy. Richard Foster uh, wrote this book called Celebration of Discipline that um, I've been reintroduced to over the past few months and have reread it and love it. And in that, one of the, he talks about these spiritual disciplines or these spiritual habits, these things that we do that draw us to the Father, like we sang this morning, run to the Father, right? This is what it looks like to, to run to the Father. And one of those disciplines, one of those habits is celebration. And he writes this, says the decision to set the mind on higher things, on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. As we choose that way, the healing and redemption in Christ will break into the the inner recesses of our lives and relationships. And the inevitable result will be what? Joy. It's a celebration. Joy is, is what we practice when we sit with Jesus and we allow him to transform our lives, transform our hearts. And again, this can't be done by just one to two hours on a Sunday morning. Joy or rejoicing is a practice. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a habit. It's a way of life. And when I think about this way of life, I think about uh, a man that has become known as Brother Lawrence. Uh, Several years ago, um, I was going through a time of just trying to figure out maybe kind of what was next. and, And I was struggling with discontentedness, I think, and not finding joy in what I was doing every day. And someone made the suggestion, it might have been Steve, I don't remember who, uh, but I went, decided to go to a monastery, a little monastery down in Georgia, and spend a couple of days there and just fast and pray. This was a place where they practiced silence most of the time, which I loved. That was awesome. It's always loud around my house, so having a little bit of silence was really nice. And because I was going to a monastery, Meredith, my wife, picked up this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God, written, or it chronicles the the writings uh, and letters of Brother Lawrence, who was a monk and a brother in the Carmelite Monastery in Paris. But it was back in the 1600s. Okay, so not seeing a lot of commonality between him and me, but I was like, I'll take it. She got it for me. I'll be nice. I'll read it. And man, I tell you, it transformed kind of the way I looked at relationship with God and what it looked like. We don't know much about him other than that he was a part of this monastery and that his job 
for most of his time there was that he worked in the kitchen. He washed the dishes. He ran errands to, to, make the, uh, to provide the meals. And, and that was his job. And he kind of became known. He, he had this, this moniker of finding joy in those menial tasks. In fact, he wrote this or prayed this, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Have you ever prayed that? While you're washing the dishes, Lord, make me a saint in washing the plates. But this is taken from one of his letters and I think it really speaks to where we're at this morning. The holiest and most necessary practice in the spiritual life is that of the presence of God. It consists in taking delight in and becoming accustomed to his divine company, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him all the time at every moment without rule or measure, especially during moments of temptation, struggle, aridity, weariness, even in infidelity and sin, we must continually apply ourselves in such a way that all our actions become a means for maintaining brief conversations with God. Not in a contrived manner, but from the purity and simplicity of our hearts, we must perform all our actions carefully, not impulsively or hurriedly, for such would characterize a distracted mind. Any of you feel like you might have a distracted mind. We must work gently and lovingly with God, asking him to accept our work. And by this continual attention to God, we will crush the head of the devil and force the weapons from his hands. We must stop periodically in our work and other activities, even during our spiritual reading and religious exercises and vocal prayers as often as possible to adore God in the depths of our hearts, apprenticing, uh, appreciating him in passing and on the slide, praising him, asking for his help, offering him our hearts and thanking him. For Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God was communing with, was talking with God in every single part of his day. It was asking God to receive his work, the works of his hands, even in the work of washing dishes and running errands. He saw the beauty of God even in those tasks. I wonder if maybe we don't live our lives filled with joy because we give most of our attention to things other than God. We have distracted minds, as he wrote. There's a this study that's gone around that says that the average human attention span has fallen from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to eight seconds today. So that means that most of you have checked out long ago <laughs> before I started talking. Eight seconds. And they say, and I don't know how they measure this, but they say that the average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. <laughs> so we have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Not saying much for the human race, right? But I think there's reasons for that. And whatever that looks like. Our attention is so easily drawn. 
So here's the invitation for for today and a practice for the week. Something we've been doing at the gathering, which is our ministry of college students this semester is each week, we've been giving them a practice to say, hey, here's something tangible to do this week to practice what, what we've been talking about. And we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here's the practice I want for us this week. In the menial tasks of your day, and when I say menial, I don't mean uh, unimportant. But I just mean those things that we do every day. Whether it's brushing our teeth or washing the dishes or parts of our jobs that we just do without even thinking as we, as we go through our day. In the menial tasks of your day, this week, turn your attention to God. As you're doing those. Praying like he did, oh God of pots and pans or, or cars and uh, whatever your job might be. Of doing the numbers, of, of talking with people. Lord, in everything I do, Lord, I want to be focused on you. I want to be a reflection of your love for me. I want to find the beauty of who you are even in these tasks. So in the menial tasks of your day this week, turn your attention to God, talk to him, meditate on the scriptures that you read that morning. And I'm assuming that you read some scriptures that morning. Practice abiding. Practice the presence of God. Practice joy. And what that may mean and probably does mean for most of us is that we say no to other things. Maybe to our phones. Turn off CNN or Fox News. Saw some elbows flying. If I haven't caught you yet, I will. Turn off Netflix, YouTube. Minimize the things that draw our attention. And turn that attention back to the Lord. Can we do that? (laughs) Steve will. Anybody else? Can we do that? And just try it. And you might find, I have a little bit more peace in my life. I have a little bit more patience, gentleness, self-control, love, kindness, and even joy. Just try it. And tell me next week if it worked. We have to be willing to try it though. Because I believe that following Jesus is something we do. It's not just something we are. It's something we do. You may be in here this morning thinking, you know, that all sounds great, but I'm just checking out this Jesus guy. I don't even know what it looks like to follow him. Follower of Jesus, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? And if that's you, then we'd like to talk with you. There's going to be someone in the prayer room after we're done, after we wrap up here. You can come talk to me. Come grab Steve, and he would love to talk to you. 
And if the Lord's drawing you, don't, don't wait on that. Don't say no to that. Take that opportunity to take a step. But I want us to practice this this week. If you would stand with me and uh, we're going to pray and I'm going to, I want to end with a, a prayer of blessing over you. One that, that Brother Lawrence wrote. But before we do that, we have a group uh, going to Phoenix next week to uh, help with a church plant and their launch. And we have about five folks that are going and they are going to be helping out uh, these planters and their core team. And we wanna pray for them and ask that, that the Lord would, would give them strength, would give them endurance because they're gonna have a whirlwind of, uh, of a weekend next week. They, they leave next Friday. So let's be praying for them, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you keep your promises. We thank you that we can find our hope and our trust and our joy in you no matter what's swirling around us. God, help us to practice your presence this week. Help us to practice joy. Help us to practice abiding. And Father, I want to pray for our friends that are headed to Phoenix this week. God, I pray that you would use them to be an amazing blessing to these folks that you have called out to start a new body and a new work, God. Lord, I pray that you would give them endurance, obviously safety as they, as they travel and, and Lord, just boring travel, uneventful travel, uh, that they get there and they're able to do the things that you've called them to do, Lord. I pray that you would prepare their hearts before they go. Lord, I pray that you give them endurance and stamina and uh, Lord, just words of hope and blessing over the folks that they're serving. And Lord, that this new plant, this new body in Phoenix, God, would be a light, would be a city on a hill. Lord, proclaiming your goodness and your greatness and your love. God, would you please go before them? And God, uh, over all of us, I, I pray, as Brother Lawrence prayed, oh, our God, since you are with us, and we must now, in obedience to your commands, apply our minds to these outward things. We ask you to grant us the grace to continue in your presence. And to this end, do you go before us with your assistance? Lord, would you receive our work and our possessions and possesses all of our affections? Would you possess all of our affections? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you were encouraged by this podcast, then we want to encourage you to like, follow, rate us on whatever platform that you are listening to. If you want more information about the church and things going on, 
visit therivercc.com or download our app. Again, thank you so much for listening to the River Community Church podcast.